All right, good morning, y'all. Good to see you. Excited for what God has for us this morning. Uh, welcome to City Light. My name is Nate, one of the pastors here. If you're new, we are so glad that you are here. We'd love to help you get connected. So please come up, talk to me, uh, hit the welcome table on your way out, uh, fill out a connect card, whatever it is. We'd love to get you connected to help you in your walk in life and in your faith journey with God. Uh, today we're going to be in Habakkuk. So uh, you can use the reference thing, you know, in your Bible if you need to. No shame, all right? Just find the page number. Or if you know where it might somewhere be, it's hidden in the Minor Prophets. If you open your Bible to the middle and just go right for a little while, eventually you'll land there. Uh, take a minute to find it. I also want to make sure you have one of these, which is the, the scripture journals that we use in 2 Timothy and that we hope to be able to use with every book of the Bible that we go through. Uh, this is our gift to you. And remember, the reason why these are so important is because the best thing you can do is learn how to read the Bible for yourself uh, from this time. So I hope you receive some teaching that's helpful to you. But I hope the main thing that we teach you is how to read the Bible for yourself. Uh, because God, if you've trusted in Jesus, has given you his Holy Spirit, which means that not all of us have the gift of teaching something, but that we all have the same ability to receive what God wants for us. This is so important because we say this all the time. I will say this till I'm dead. Man cannot live by sermons alone. That this is what, this is what your time with God should look like. Is throughout the week you're engaging with scripture. You're, you're being inspired by the Holy Spirit. You're learning and receiving from him on your own. And you get a whole bowl of ice cream from Jesus. And then somebody like me comes along and just puts a cherry on top. Okay? So you cannot live by, by a sermon every day. Even if you podcasted a sermon every day, that's not going to do it for you. That's called secondhand Christianity, and God wants to give you an experience of him firsthand for yourself. You've got to know the word to do that. So I'm just encouraging you with all my heart. This time is like 10% helpful if all you do is just listen to me. But if you engage with the scriptures, use your brain, write stuff down, learn how to read the Bible, you're going to be so helped in your own walk with God, and it's going to be super, super, super important for you. So take this. This is our gift to you. Uh, and it's also, there's four books in it, so it's like a buy one, get four special, all right? So there's four in here. And so this is a lucky, your lucky day. You can do this with four books, even ones we're not teaching through. Uh, so please use it, mark it up, write your notes down, and we're going to work through the book of Habakkuk together. So as you saw in the bumper, this whole sermon series is about what does it look like to have a conversation with God in the midst of personal and national crisis, the book of Habakkuk is going to be so relevant for our personal lives, so relevant for 2020, so relevant all the time as we look through, man, if I could just, so many of you think this way, if I could just ask God this question in the midst of this trial, in the midst of this circumstance, and get an answer from him, that would be fantastic. If I could just have a conversation with God about everything that's going on in my life and have a back and forth with him where he speaks back to me and I can write it down, that would be great. And what, you know, what I want you to see is this is exactly what we have in Habakkuk, where in the midst of personal crisis and national crisis, which sounds familiar to all of us, he, hit, he gets to have a conversation with God. And he's going to ask God some tough questions, and he's going to receive some answers. And I'm telling you, this time is going to be not only helpful, I don't think, in the moment, but really instructive for our way of life. What does it look like for us to navigate the way forward in, time, in light of everything that's happening in our world around us? So Habakkuk chapter 1, let's read it together. Hopefully you have found it by now. If not, it's on the screen. We're going to read the first 11 verses. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long... You should already feel like, oh yeah, I resonate with this guy. How long? How many of you have said that? How long, oh Lord? 
How long shall I cry for help, and you won't hear? I cry to you, violence, and you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity on Twitter, on Instagram, on social media, on Facebook, on the news? Why do you make me see all these evil things? Why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed. Justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. And then the Lord responds, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if I told you. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar and fly like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence. All their faces forward, they gather captives like sand. At kings they scoff and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress. They pile up the earth and they take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and they go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. So as you see from the beginning, I hope you go ahead and resonate. These questions are very familiar to us. How long, O oh Lord, how long? Why don't you do something? This is what he says here. Look, you're, why are you idle? He's like, look, 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 look. Evil, 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 evil. Wickedness. All these things are happening around me. I can see it and I care. And he's like, God, why don't you do something? Don't you see it? Don't you care? Don't you have the power to change it? Why do you let people do this? What are you doing? And this is so much how we feel, right? You say, God, you're, you seem idle, man. Why don't you do something? How many times in life have we asked this question to him? We look around our circumstances and we say, God, why don't you do something, something, anything? I see all this happening around me. You don't seem to be doing anything. And we say, how long, God? How long does it have to be this way? How long does my personal circumstance have to be this way? How long does the situation I live in have to be this way? How long do we have to see all of this injustice, difficulty, suffering all around us? How long, oh Lord, are you going to allow this to happen? How long? We've all been there, and this is exactly what Habakkuk is expressing. You know, the real reason, I think, for this book is it's an expression and it's insight into dealing with unanswered prayer. Habakkuk's greatest frustration is that it seems like God's not listening to him. It seems like his prayers are not going answered. He says, how long am I going to cry out to you and you're not going to hear me? And so if you walked in here this morning with some unanswered prayer, with some things in your life that you feel like God isn't listening, I want you to receive some encouragement and some instruction on how to navigate that space. Habakkuk's going to help you do that today. He's going to help all of us navigate the evil in the world around us, the questions we have about why does God allow certain things to happen? What is God doing? Or what is he not doing? This is going to be very helpful. So Habakkuk asked these questions in his desperation, and we do the same thing. So we're going to see that. I want to give you a little background real quick so you have some context. So Habakkuk, 
He was prophesying sometime between 612 and 587 B.C., that general area. Uh, The reason this is believed is, number one, because in 586 B.C. is when this prophecy came true and the Babylonians came and they wiped out Judah. So it had to be before that. Uh, Also from 612 to 587 is a significant downward decline in the history of God's people where the last good king, his name was Josiah, uh, there's three after that and they all just keep getting worse. And so from that season on, it's like, They were like this, you know, the people of God, good king, bad king, good king, bad king. They were doing this all the time. Uh, And apart from God's grace, we do the same thing. That's why God sent Jesus. And so they're doing that. But eventually it just gets real bad, and it's it's just down. And there just seems to be no way back up. And so he's looking around, and there's really bad leaders who are leading people away from God and are not bringing justice to injustice, who are not establishing righteous laws, who are not living by God's way. They're setting the example for the people, so the people are not living by God's way. Wickedness, evil, injustice abound all around him, all because of bad leadership. And this is the situation that he finds himself in. And so Habakkuk looks around, and he looks at the terrible situation that's happening and he says God what's up like what what are you doing what are you not doing why don't you do something this is the conversation he's having with God so he's frustrated just like some of you might be frustrated his prayers seem to go unanswered just like your prayers may seem to go unanswered he's tired of looking at videos of violence he's tired of looking at things happen all around him that are difficult he's tired of the struggles that he sees all around him he's tired of injustice he's tired of bad leadership he's tired of seeing this happen all around him and he says Lord how long are you going to let this happen the question he expresses that we have on the screen is why don't you do something and that's the question we all face in our life some of you may face it strongly right now you had that question when you walked in here lord why don't you do something about my situation some of you had that question about big picture stuff like a pandemic like lord what are you doing why don't you do something some of you had that question that you will have that question you've had had that question why don't you do something and we're going to learn a lot about what does it look like for god to answer that question for us So the Lord gave him an answer. So we see an answer right here in verse 5. He says, I am doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe if I told you. Man, this is so good. Come on. Habakkuk's like, what are you doing, God? You look like you're doing nothing. And God's like, I'm doing something so unbelievable and complicated you wouldn't even understand if I told you. That in the midst of when you think God is doing nothing, God is doing everything. And this, hear me, is always true. Always. Always. Always true. That God is always up to something. That God is always working. Always navigating circumstances. Always doing works in and around your life. In and around the nations. All around the world. That whenever you have the complaint, God, why don't you do something? Just take it to the bank that God says back to you, I am doing something. It's just over your head. You wouldn't even understand it if I told you. You wouldn't believe it. Take that to the bank. Whenever you feel like God's idol and you say, why don't you do something? God responds to you, I am doing something. And it's so significant and magnificent, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. It's above your pay grade. It's out of range. But he's going to reveal things to us that we need. So here's a category for your life that's basically the whole sermon today that's going to help you navigate your life. Here's the category. I want you to be confused but confident. Confused but confident. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm confused, but I'm confident. All right, I'm confused, but I'm confident. I'm confused, but I'm confident. That you can be confused and still have confidence. 
I'm telling you, this will change your life if you actually hear and believe this. If you live by this way to say there's a category of life because of God and because of my relationship to him in which I can be totally confused and totally confident all at the same time. That my confusion doesn't have to down to, doesn't have to send me down into despair or depression. That my confusion does not have to give me anxiety. That my confusion doesn't have to break me. That in the midst of my confusion, I can have confidence even if I don't get the answers. Because I know God. And I know his character. This is what we're going to see today. If you can build this category into your life, this is going to help you, I'm telling you. That you can learn, how do I be confused but confident? Confused but confident. As I was reading through commentaries, I got the, one of uh, the guys said it this way. I thought this was super helpful. He said, trust in the purposes of the Lord, despite confusing perceptions of precisely what he is doing, lies at the center of the thought of Habakkuk. So trusting the purposes of God, despite being confused and perplexed about precisely what he is doing, is the very essence of this book. The very essence of Habakkuk is to be confused but confident. To be perplexed, but to know that God has a purpose. And so in light of that, I want you to write this down too. This is going to help you, and we're going we're to talk about this for a little bit. If you want to trust God's plans, your perspective has to expand. If you want to trust God's plans, your perspective has to expand. If you want to trust God's plans, your perspective has to expand. Look at his response in verse 5. The very first thing he says to Habakkuk is, look among the nations. You see what's happening? Habakkuk's looking around him, and he's saying, God, look at everything happening around me. And God says, for a minute, I want you to stop looking around you and look beyond you. Because you need to get my perspective. Because Habakkuk, if you don't expand your perspective, you won't have any understanding. If you don't expand your perspective, you won't have any confidence. If you don't expand your perspective, it's going to be difficult for you to trust me. You keep looking around you, Habakkuk. I need you to look beyond you because I'm doing something so significant that you can't even understand. The more I begin to think about this, this is so important for you to grasp that if you want to trust God's plans, your perspective has to expand. You have to begin to think like him and understand what he is doing in the world. I was thinking about how do, how, what, is, what is a way to explain this? And I thought about this movie, It's a Wonderful Life. Okay, how many of y'all seen It's a Wonderful Life? All right, it's like five of y'all in there. Man, I'm, I'm getting old. Okay, so It's a Wonderful Life. It's a Christmas movie, all right? So Christmas is coming up. You should watch it. It's like a lot of different movies where the character's upset, things are not going well, and then an angel intervenes, and then he gives the character perspective. He intervenes, and then he begins to do what? He begins to show the character all the things that are happening that he hasn't seen yet. He begins to show this character who's depressed and having difficulties navigating his circumstances all the ways his life has impacted other people. He begins to give the bird's eye view of this character's life. And because this person now has perspective, when the angel leaves and he comes back to his regular life, he has encouragement and he has vigor for life. Why? What changed? Did the circumstances change? No. What changed? His perspective. His perspective. That's exactly what God wants to do with you this morning, is to come pull you up out of your surroundings and give you perspective on a God who not only runs your life, but runs the world. And what does it look like for my life to be caught up in God's plans for an entire world? And it's going to help you give perspective, and that perspective is going to help you trust God's plans. Because let me show you something. You You don't only need perspective about what God is doing around you. You need perspective about what does it mean for God to answer you. Look at this, look at this. God answers his prayer 
but he does it in a timing he didn't want and in a way he didn't want. Right? He, look at this. He says, look, I'm going to answer your prayer. So basically the summary is Habakkuk's like, man, all this violence around me, all these people are terrible. This is within Judah, within the people of God themselves. He's just looking at his people and saying, all these people are doing all these evil things. And he's saying, God, why don't you do something? And God says, okay, I will do something. I am doing something. I actually have this magnificent plan. I'm going to raise up this nation who you don't even know, and they're going to come wipe you all out. And I'm going to give violence for all your violence. And Habakkuk's like, wait, 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 wait. No, wait, that's, that's not what I had in mind. That's not, I thought there would be another way, like, me and all my friends would be good, and like, all these bad people over here, you're just lightning bolt them, you know, like, this is what I was going for, and, and this is not it. And not only is that happening, but it's going to happen in the future. So it's near, but it's not like tomorrow. Uh, and so for the majority of Habakkuk's life, he's going to have to endure the same things he's seeing. When God answers his prayer, he doesn't do it in the time he wants or in the way he wants, but he answers it. And he answers it with God's infinite wisdom. So you need to expand your perspective to say, for God to answer your prayer, for God to respond to your cries for help, does not mean that he does what you ask, when you ask, or how you asked it. you got to expand your perspective. That God can respond to your prayers and do it in a way that you don't understand. And do it in a way that's bigger than you could ever understand. And do it in a way that doesn't even look like an answered prayer at first. How many times did God answer your prayer for a new job by, you know, saying no to the one you wanted only to open up something better three weeks later? How many times did God answer your prayer in the way you didn't want? You said, God, please bless me with this. And he says no. And then because he said no to that, something else opened up that was better. How many times has that happened in your life where God answers your prayer not in the timing you want or in the way you want, but in a better way than you could have imagined? This happens all the time. And God is doing that in the scripture, and he's doing that here. So we have to expand our perspective. Not only uh, we can't focus on what's happening around us, we have to look beyond us, but we also have to understand what does it mean for God to answer me, and that does not mean he answers me in my timing in the way that I would like. If we're going to trust God's plans, we have to expand our perspective. So in every one thing, you have to understand God is doing a thousand things. This is what Jesus said in John 5, 17. He said, my father is working until now, and I am working. I'm always working, always working. When you think God is idle, he says, no, I'm working. When you think it doesn't make sense, God says, it's complicated. I'm working it out. When you don't understand, God knows exactly what he's doing. God is working always. He's working is what he does. He's working. He's never idle in your life. He's working. You have to believe this. You have to take it to the bank. When you feel like nothing's happening, God is working. Jesus is working, and he's always working. He's answering your prayers even if it doesn't look like it or feel like it. But the reason sometimes it's difficult for us is because what's complicated for us is not complicated to God. And for us to understand his ways requires some searching them out. So God is doing a thousand things with every one thing. So I'm going to help you expand your perspective with what's happening here in Habakkuk for you to think through what does this mean for my own life. So part of what God is doing here, okay, in Habakkuk in around 612 B.C. or so is responding to something he said hundreds of years prior to Moses. So now it's already too complicated for us. It's like God is working in the present in a way to make good on his promises in the past. He's pulling back from Deuteronomy 28:49. Let me read it for you. It says, the Lord will bring a nation against you from far away, from the end of the earth, swooping down like the eagle, a nation whose language you do not understand. 
So something Moses told the people of God. So they get free from Egypt. They have the law of God. They're going to go, whoa, okay. Everybody's like, we have a great future in front of us. And Moses says, all right, everybody, let me gather you. I got a little, a little team speech here. Let me tell you two things. Number one, if you obey God, you will be blessed. Things will be great. Number two, if you disobey God, you'll be cursed and you'll die. Things will not go well. And everybody's like, okay, yeah, we're going to obey God. You know, and then three weeks later, they're like, no, man, I want to do that. This is exactly how we are, which is exactly why we need Jesus and the Holy Spirit, all right? We cannot obey God on our own. So they couldn't either. And so they say, whatever, we're not going to do it. So Moses says in Deuteronomy 28, if you do not obey God, one day the Lord will swoop down on you from another nation whose language you don't understand. And because then they, they proceed to disobey God, disobey God, disobey God, which is hundreds of years. Just think about how patient God is. When my kids disobey me for like five minutes, I get real frustrated. I'm like, you need to, you need to come on now. No, 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 you know. You're about to have some consequences on your behavior. And then we're like hundreds of years of disobedience, you know, all the way over here. God's still being patient. And then judgment comes. We're like, God, why would you judge me, you know? God's like, I've been patient for literally your entire life, all right? So you got to have perspective once again on what God is doing. So in the present moment of Habakkuk, God is orchestrating and making good on a promise he made hundreds of years before. And so now he's part of his saying, I'm working something out that involves the past, and how it makes itself present in the, in the present, and how that's going to work out in the future. I'm working all these elements together. This is over your head. You have to believe. You wouldn't even believe me if I told you how complicated this is. You have to expand your perspective. Now listen, this is important because God's making good on a promise. Now it's a promise of judgment, but hear me. If God doesn't make good on promises of judgment, we can't trust him to make good on promises of blessing. So this is a good thing. You want God to make good on this promise. You want God to do what he's doing because if he's not going to keep his word for the bad stuff, he's not going to keep his word for the good stuff. He's unreliable. So he's making good on a promise, which is good, which we would say yes and amen to. So he makes a promise back then. The people disobey. He's patient forever. Eventually in his right timing, in the perfect timing, he brings this other country to do what he promised to do hundreds of years ago. And so now in this moment of Habakkuk's life, God is fulfilling a promise that he waited hundreds of years to do. It's complicated for us, but not for God. Not only is he making good on promises he made before, but in this moment in time, he's orchestrating the plans of many nations, and he's bringing all these things together. What's so significant about this is for, the, for Babylon, which is like, imagine a map, it's over here, and Jerusalem's like way over here, okay? So for Babylon to go all the way to Jerusalem, it's going to take a long way, so they have to fight a bunch of different countries to get there. So for Babylon to take out Jerusalem means they have to take out like four other people. And so now, all these things happening in all these nations are being ordered and driven by God. So not only is God working in Israel and with the people of God living in Jerusalem, particularly with them, but the way he works with them affects all these other nations. You have to see. You see what God is saying? He's saying, man, I'm working all these things out for all these people in all these places. I'm ruling over all the nations. And you need to expand your perspective to understand what I'm doing in your life. And part of the thing that's going to be so helpful for this is if God can orchestrate and rule over the plans of all nations and bring them all together for one particular purpose that he has in mind, he can handle your life. He can handle the perplexities of your life. He can handle the people that are in your life. He can handle the situations that are in your life. If God rules over the plans of all nations, he can handle the plans of the people in your life. This is a rock-solid ground for our feet. Let me give you some scripture about being confident in the Lord's rule over all things, which is particularly necessary in election season when we get so caught up in the rulers of a nation that we forget that God is the one in charge. 
You can never forget that. Be involved, vote, do everything you need to do that's appropriate, but don't put your confidence there. There's never been a vote on God. He rules over all things. He doesn't run a democracy. God runs a dictatorship, a good one. He's a very benevolent. But he doesn't ask for your opinion on things. We don't vote on him, and he never gets run out of office. God rules always. And so no matter what happens this time or the next time or the next time, no matter what happens, no matter what happens, the people of God should never be shaken because we know that a president is never the one fully in charge or a dictator of some other nation, or whatever it might be. They're not in charge, people. They are not in charge. Please hear me. Be involved. Do everything. I'm not saying it does matter, but I'm just saying they're not in charge. God's the one who rules over. Listen to this. Psalm 33, 10 through 11. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. Look at that. He frustrates the plans of the people. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. That's some good stuff right there. Some firm foundation for your feet. How about this? Isaiah 46, 9 through 10. Remember the former things of old. I am God. There is no other. I am God and there is none like me. Declaring the end from the beginning. The ancient things, or from ancient times, things not yet done. Saying, my counsel shall stand. And I, God says, will accomplish all my purpose. Come on, you have to put this right under your feet to say the Lord rules over all nations. The Lord frustrates the plans of the people. He brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. They sit in their meetings and they plan their agendas to do this and do that and overtake this and overtake this and, they plan, and he brings it to nothing in one second. The Lord rules over all nations, and when he's doing this, he's ruling over all nations, and he's involved in their life. So God is orchestrating this whole thing that's bigger than you could ever imagine. I need you to look at verse 6 with me. Get this. You have to remember this. This is so important. So the Chaldeans are a terrible, wicked, nasty, unjust, just bad. They're just terrible at every count. They're terrible. And look at verse 6. Read it. God says, I am raising them up. Oh, come on. This is, how, this, is, this is how you get confused but confident. You need a category in your mind for God sovereignly ruling over and intending the existence of evil empires, of wickedness. If you don't have that category in your mind, you're going to be confused and just confused and despair, and you're going to be frustrated and sad. You need a category. Look at this. The Chaldeans are bad. They're doing bad things, but they're doing what God has purposed, and God raises them up. You need a category in your mind. God is bigger than your understanding of how evil and good relate and what God is in charge of. You need a category in your mind. The Chaldeans, wicked, but part of God's judgment and also part of God's refinement because on the other side of them overtaking Jerusalem, they get sent into captivity for 70 years, but then God takes the Babylonians out too because they're not in charge either, and then Jerusalem people get to go back, and then there's this great season of rejoicing, and then several hundred years later, the Messiah comes. And so now you see the pathway to the revelation of Jesus Christ included raising up a wicked empire to overtake his people. Do you see what I'm saying? It's so amazing to say, man, God is working all of these things out. And if God's doing that amongst the nations and doing that amongst the plans of all the peoples and doing that with every decision made by anybody that thinks they're in charge anywhere, God can orchestrate, run, work out, and deal with the plans and purposes and people in your life. Come on, if he rules the nations, it's so simple for him to rule your life. This is where you put your confidence, and you need a category in your mind for God saying, I am raising up this wicked nation, and I'm going to give them prominence and power. 
You need a category in your mind for that with the people around you. You need a category in your mind for that for your circumstances. That way you can be confused but confident because you know God's purposes are the things that stand. That God frustrates the plans of the people. So this is so important. If you want to trust God's plans, your purpose, your perspective has to expand. You can be confused but confident. Now, I want you to be confident, but I also want you to beware of false confidence. This is so important as well. I want to build up your confidence and encourage you. I also want to help you beware of false confidence. Look in verse 8. It says, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, an eagle swift to devour. Now, basically, verses 6 through 11 are a description of how they're going to come. So it's a, it's a prophecy that they will come and a description of how. And part of the reason this is important, because the people of Judah and Jerusalem were so far disconnected from that so people. So imagine like Babylon, just thousands of miles away. I mean, you should look it up on a map. I should have put a map on here. Just really far away, okay? They're way far away. And for them to get to Jerusalem, they have to go through Assyria, which is a problem because the Assyrians were the bad boys on the block, at least at the moment. Technically, the Babylonians were nothing. They were like nobody. Nobody even knew who they were. They're like that superstar athlete that comes out of nowhere. He's like D3, and all of a sudden he's balling. This is exactly who they were. They didn't know. They were like nobody, little kids, just like whatever. And then God says, I'm going to raise them up. So he raises them up. Then he makes a prophecy to say they're going to come to you. But the people in Jerusalem are over here. They're doing their thing, and they're like, that's no big deal. They're not going to make it through Assyria. No problem. They're not going to make it to us. Or as a matter of fact, that's so far away, I'll probably be dead by the time they actually get here, so I ain't going to worry about it. Or you know what else? The people in Egypt, they're right next to us. They're our friends because we pay them money to keep us safe. So eventually, when they get, if they do get close, the Egyptians are going to come bail us out. So they have all these reasons. They're like, super far away, super far away, not a big deal. Uh, I have all these different things I'm confident in. But they were trusting in everything but the Lord himself. And they underestimated God's ways. They underestimated God's plan. They underestimated the speed, hear me, of God's judgment. They underestimated what God could really do. The horses of the Babylonians were not fast because they had extra strong horses. The horses of the Babylonians were fast because God was sending them. God was sending them so they got there quickly. And God wanted to help his people not have false confidence because this false confidence led to complacency. The complacency led to a lack of repentance, and a lack of repentance led to receiving judgment. So as much as in this message I want to encourage you that God's doing a work for you to bless you and to help you and to lead you, which is true and which we're going to see again in the end, there's also the truth, particularly here in this passage, that God's doing a work that you should be afraid of. That the judgment of God will come quicker than you think. And there might be some of you in the room who say, man, I'm young. I don't have to really decide to follow God now. I'll have my fun and I'll decide that later. And then God says, man, that's some false confidence. What if you don't have later? Or what if my judgment comes quicker than you think? What if you're not ready? And if you become complacent and then unrepentant, and then you're not ready, and the judgment of God comes, and you receive the punishment that's due your error, this is what is happening. Or some of you may think, I go to church, I serve the poor, I do nice things, therefore I'll be accepted to God. 
And God says, no, man, brother, sister, that's a false confidence that good works do not get you accepted before God. Being a nice person does not get you accepted before God. Uh, giving money to the poor does not get you accepted before God. Going to church does not get you accepted before God. There's one way to get accepted before God, and that's to trust in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only way. Jesus said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man shall come to the Father except through me. And you come in here and you say, I've done all this, I've done all that, and I'm here to tell you that's a false confidence and that the judgment of God is coming, and if you do not trust in Jesus, the judgment of God will fall on you. Some of you might be trusting in an election or an outcome or a political party or a situation working itself out around you, and God is saying once again, that's a false confidence. You cannot put your confidence in the ways of man. You cannot put your confidence in the decisions of man. You cannot put your confidence in the outcomes of the events around you. That is a false confidence. When you put your confidence in your circumstances and then your circumstances go well, it's very dangerous because now you have a false confidence that looks strong. To say, I always trusted my circumstances. When they were bad, they were bad, and now they're good, so I feel good. And God says, no, 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 that's a false confidence. That's a false confidence. Some of the times the best thing God can do is break you so that you get rid of your false confidence, so that you depend wholly on him. Because I want to tell you, the judgment of God is coming, and it comes faster than you think, and it comes on everyone who do not, does not trust in the Lord Jesus and be saved from their sins. This is true, and I want to encourage you that God loves you and is for you and wants to save you, and he has amazing plans, and this is true, and you can trust him that he's working. But at the same time, if you choose to rebel against him continually and keep stiff-arming God and walking away from him, the judgment of God will come quicker than you think, and you won't be ready. And after that's it, that's it. There's no other second chances, that's it. And so I want to encourage you to get right with God today. I don't know where you're at, but you must get right with God today. The question all of us should ask is, what is my false confidence? We all have them. Is it your bank account? Is it your skill set? Is it your family? Is it the resources that you have? Is it the way that you look? What is it? What is it? Is it your good works? What's your false confidence? Reflect, think, what am I trusting in other than God? How can I put my trust back into the Lord alone? What is my false confidence? So something you need to, to write down and consider is this. My confidence doesn't come from my circumstances, but God's character. So as we just said, if I put my confidence in my circumstances and my circumstances go well, then I'll be in the midst of a false confidence, which will be dangerous for me. My confidence doesn't come from my circumstances, but God's character. And so once again, like you said to Habakkuk, you have to stop looking around you and look beyond you. As a matter of fact, look above you and look to the Lord whose character never changes. My circumstances can change. They will change. They'll go up. They'll go down. They'll get good. They'll get bad. If I put my confidence there, I'll always be up and down, good and bad. But if I put my confidence in the Lord, he doesn't change. If I put my confidence in his character, it's always the same. God always keeps his promises. God always does what's right. God never makes mistakes. God never has to say I'm sorry. God never messes up. God always does the perfect thing in every situation, the perfect act of justice, the perfect act of mercy, the perfect act of grace, the perfect act of punishment. God is doing the most perfect thing in every situation, and he is always the same. And so now if I want to be confident, even while I'm confused, I cannot look at my circumstances. I have to look at God's character. I cannot look around me, I must look above me, I must look beyond me, because if I just look around me, I'm going to struggle and despair, but if I look above me, I can receive confidence from the Lord. This is so important for us to live by this principle of life, that my confidence doesn't come from my circumstances, it doesn't come from outcomes, it doesn't come from anything the world can give me, it comes from God's character. And listen to me, if you want to expand your perspective, you need to expand your knowledge of God. 
Some of y'all are so wishy-washy and up and down and you struggle so much because your time with God is so minimal that you don't have a great knowledge of who he is. And so now when something comes and there's nobody nearby you to say, man, God is like this, the fact that God is faithful doesn't come naturally to you. And you're stuck because the circumstances are overwhelming and you don't have the confidence you need because you haven't been spending time with him. You don't have the knowledge that you need. You don't have the impression from the Lord, I've been spending time with you all the time. You have revealed yourself. You are faithful and confident. You know what I read in Psalm whatever this morning, that God is good and that his steadfast love endures forever. And I'm going to look at my situation and I'm going to speak that over it. And if you don't have that time with God, your confidence will be minimal because your time is minimal. Your focus will be narrow because your life will be narrow. You need to expand, 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 expand your perspective by expanding your time with the Lord, by expanding your understanding of who he is. Build those habits into your life. And when circumstances come, you'll have the power to be confident in the midst of it because you'll know God. You know, like you'll know God. You won't know God because Nate told you about him. You won't know God because you come to church. You won't know God because you'll know God because you know God. Because you're with him, because you trust him, because you believe him. And if the whole world fell apart and everybody left God, you wouldn't. Because you know him. That's what you need. That's what you need. You need that kind of knowledge of the Lord. So Paul, uh, he uses this verse in Acts. I think this is helpful for us. Acts 13, 40, verse 41. If you're ever trying to understand parts of the Old Testament, uh, 66, get this, two-thirds of the New Testament is a quotation of the Old Testament. Isn't that fun? Two-thirds. So the New Testament... It's just a continuation and an affirmation of what God is doing before. Paul uses this in Acts, and he says, uh, he, he, he's talking to these Jews, and he's trying to explain to them Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus came, he lived, he died, he rose again. If you trust in him, you'll be saved. Stop doing all the things that you're doing and believe in Jesus. You don't know better. You don't know the way. I'm telling you what happened. He died and he rose again. He's alive. He's the king. He's the Lord. And he's speaking to them, and he's preaching to them, and they're being stubborn, and he looks at them, and he pulls this prophecy up from Habakkuk. He uses it hundreds of years later, and he says, look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish. I am doing a work in your days, a work that you would not believe even if I told you. And so for Paul to use that verse, and I was trying to think through, okay, if Paul's going to pick that up, and he's going to use it to talk to the people right in front of him, when that prophecy has already been fulfilled by the Babylonians particularly, Paul's using it again for the people in front of him. What does that mean? How does that help me understand the passage? And I feel like Paul's trying to make the point here that Habakkuk and them were trying to make the point before that don't miss what God is doing right in front of you. He's saying, don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss it. Christ is alive. Jesus is the Savior. God is working. This is the way. Don't miss it. Because if you ignore it, judgment is coming. And if you don't receive it, you won't have confidence to navigate your future in your life. He's saying, don't miss it, don't miss it, don't miss what God is doing. That's the call for you and I today, to not miss what God is doing. Because there's two sides to this, to this idea that God is doing a work you wouldn't believe. One side is that there's a judgment that's so horrific and terrible that you can't even imagine it. And then that's true, and that anybody who doesn't trust in Jesus will receive the judgment from God, which is an eternity in hell apart from Jesus and apart from all good things forever. This is the reality at play when God says, I'm doing a work you wouldn't believe. When he means this in Habakkuk, he means I'm punishing you in a way that you wouldn't understand. But I'm also doing that to deliver you in a way that you wouldn't understand. And so you had two choices at that moment. You could repent and choose to trust God and follow his way, even if that means you go through the fire while you're on earth, you will be saved. Or you can choose to rebel against the Lord and dismiss him and say, oh, that's not a big deal. That's too far away. And then you'll receive the judgment that comes to you. There's both a warning and an encouragement here. So when I say, when the Bible says God is doing a work that you wouldn't believe, you all need to hear that. You need to receive it in a way that's appropriate for you to say, is that a warning that God will bring judgment? You need to stop messing around. 
and need to follow Jesus and trust in him? Or is that an encouragement for you that God is doing something so incredible and weaving your story together in such a way that you wouldn't even understand it if he told you? Some of you need to be warned. Some of you need to be encouraged. Some of you need to be both. But God is working. So I want to show you that here at the end. I want to make sure that we're all ready, that we all receive it in the way that God has intended it. But as we close, I want to encourage you with the way God has said the same thing in the New Testament. So you look at Habakkuk, and God responds to unanswered prayer. He responds to suffering and trial. He responds to evil. He responds to wicked leadership. He responds to personal and national crisis by saying, I'm doing something so great that you wouldn't understand if I told you. And that was supposed to guide Habakkuk through his time. It's supposed to guide us. Now in the New Testament, God says the same thing in different way. Let me give you some ways that he says this about us and how he's weaving our stories together for amazing things that we wouldn't understand if we were even told to encourage you as you navigate your confusion. These verses will help you be confused but confident. Look at verse, verse Corinthians 12, 9. I mean, 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Get this. He says, no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, I love this part, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. Come on, that should make you like do a cartwheel or something. That should make you, right, this verse, take it to the bank, memorize it. No eye has seen, no ear has heard. The heart of man can't even dream up the goodness that God has in store for those who love him. You can't even imagine it. You can't dream it. If you thought of all the wonderful things you'd love to experience, you wouldn't even get close to what it's like for God to have what he has for you. You wouldn't even know. You wouldn't even be able to taste it. It wouldn't even make sense to you. You couldn't even comprehend the goodness that God has in store for you, the love and the experience of his pleasure and his goodness that he has in store for you to experience in some level now, even on this earth, but especially forever when you're with him in heaven. Come on, this is your story. This is your story if you trust in Jesus. No matter what your circumstances tell you, you can be confident because God is telling you right now in his word, this is Jesus speaking to you that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, your heart hasn't even imagined the good things I have stored up for you. That's God talking to you. This is right here in his scriptures. And he's saying, man, it's so good. You couldn't even imagine it. Look at Romans 8, 28. You guys know this one, but you got to think it through. We know that for those who love God, all things. Say it with me. All things work together for good to those who are called according to his purpose. All things, not some things, not the good things, not just few things, all things. All things. The decisions of people around you, all things. Your own mistakes, all things. Your own issues and problems, all things. Your own past, all things. God is working all things together for good. God is working all things together for such an incredibly good thing that you couldn't dream it up if you tried. This is true in your life. This is happening right now. God is working in a way that's so good you couldn't even imagine it. And he's weaving your story together that includes both your pains and your blessings, that includes bad decisions and good decisions, that includes all those things, that includes the rules of nations all around you, that includes how you're affected by everything in the world around you. It includes all of those things. And because it's complicated to you but not complicated to God, he is weaving those things together with ease in a way to bless you eternally. So you look at your circumstances, and you just say 1 Corinthians 2, 9 at it. You just look at it, and you say, I'm confused, but I'm confident, because God told me, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no heart has imagined what God has in store for me. And my circumstances will not speak louder than the character of God. My circumstances will not speak louder than God's promises. They won't. I refuse to let that be the case. 
God wants to encourage you today. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Habakkuk is going to be all about walking by faith. That's what we're going to see next week. And so when you walk by sight, then your circumstances drag you down. And they put you in despair and trouble. But when you walk by faith, instead of looking at your circumstances, you see the character of God. And it gives you hope and assurance of the things you hope for. And God wants to help all of us learn to walk by faith, that you can be confused but confident. If you want to trust God's plans, you have to expand your perspective. Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for this truth, Lord. We thank you for your word. I mean, it's just such a wonderful, firm foundation, God, that we can read your word written thousands of years ago, and you speak to us right now right in the midst of our situation, right in the midst of our certain things going on, right in the midst of our nation and our national crisis, right in, you're speaking to us through your word. It gives us such a firm foundation, Lord. We're so thankful that you're working all these things out. We're so thankful that you're in charge and that no one else is. We're so thankful that you rule over the nations, that you rule over our lives, God. We just want to say thank you, and I ask that you would give us confidence in you, a real supernatural confidence to trust you, to believe you, to walk in confidence today and tomorrow and the next day. Help your people. Help all of us. Lord, we love you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.